Titus chapter number 2 and verse number 11. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. This morning I'm going to be preaching on the true way to holiness. The true way to holiness. Um, uh, preaching, sometimes, uh, sometimes you can, uh, the more that you, you study a thing, the more that you realize that you just don't know as much as you thought you did. Not only did you not know as much as you thought you did, you didn't even understand all the questions that you ought to be asking. And um, whenever I first started preaching, I read uh, B.H. Carroll was talking about the law and talking about sanctification. He said, if you can grab a hold of the law, if you can understand that, then you'll be a theologian. And I thought, well, I must be a theologian because there's not much <laughs> to understand about that. I, I've got that down pretty pretty good, but at the time, I didn't even know what questions to ask, really, or, or there were aspects of the law and aspects of, of obedience to the law that I didn't even understand all that was involved in it, let alone have a, a full grasp on it, but that was something from the wisdom of, of that uh, Baptist preacher that uh, had come from his years of study and his years of, of understanding that he had grown in his knowledge and understand, well, this is, this is such a deep and widespread topic that, that one must really have a grasp of, of theology and all the scriptures to, to fully get a hold of it. Uh, I was telling Caleb yesterday that um, he was talking about something else. I, but uh, I said, you know, if, if you are trying, if you're going in the right direction and you fall on your face, well, at least you're falling in the right direction, aren't you? <laughs> If, if, you're, if you're attempting, if you're trying, and you don't go as far as you want to, or even if you fall, you're falling forward, and you're not just standing there, you're not falling backward. And I, I thought, well, that's kind of the way it is with preaching. Whenever you fall, if you're trying, and if you're studying, maybe you're falling, but you're falling in the right direction. But it's also um, kind of the way I feel about sanctification, that, that we, we attempt to, to strive for holiness, and it seems like we fall on our face, and and uh, maybe even sometimes feels like we take one step forward and, and two steps backwards. But when you think about the call for God to, for us to be holy and for us to be righteous and godly in this present world, and then you look at yourself and you say, well, I, I sin. And sometimes I feel worse now like a worse sinner now than whenever the Lord first saved me. Or you might say, not only do I not feel like I've made progress, but I feel like I've gone backward. And so that can bring distress uh, to us, and that can bring uh, doubt into our minds. And say, well, why am I not uh, 
Why do I still sin? Why do I do things that I don't want to do? And, and why do I not do the things that I want to do? Well, it all depends on how you believe about certain things uh, the Scripture declares. And so what I want to do this morning is just, I'm going to start with just defining some things and just get our minds wrapped around a couple uh, <laughs> biblical doctrines. And then based upon those things, we'll, we'll see the true way to holiness. The true way to holiness. So first we're going to start with justification. Justification. What is justification? If we had a pop quiz, if I said pop quiz, and uh, you have to write out what justification is, or you don't get any lunch after church, unless you can answer that right, um, would, you start, would you start sweating? Would you start getting out on your phone and Googling Googling the answer, or do you know what justification is? Well, that's a very important doctrine to know. It's very important. Justification, so you can just think about that word justification. You see in the beginning of it, you might think, well, maybe justice, or justified. I was justified in what I was doing. If, if someone breaks into your house, and has a knife, and, and is coming after your family, and you defend your family, and the police come in and say, why did you shoot that man? You say, well, I was justified. That person was going to harm us, and, and I, I was protecting my family. I have done nothing wrong, right? So think about it in terms of something legal, something to do with justice. Well, justification is God's gracious act in which sins are pardoned, and the sinner is counted righteous in God's sight. So how are we counted righteous in, God, in God's sight? On account of Christ's perfect work and imputing his perfect righteousness to our account. So this righteousness and pardon is received by faith in Christ alone. So it is a legal act. It is God judging us. But it's a gracious act. This, this doctrine of justification. Our sins are pardoned. So we don't have any sin, but that doesn't make us innocent, does it? It doesn't make us justified. It just means that we hadn't done anything yet. Because if, if Jesus clears us of all of our sins, what about the text that says that we have to live godly and righteously? So there, there's the the righteous act on the other side of that. And so God not only pardons our sin, but he imputes his righteousness. And so that is a financial type of term, imputation. So justification, that's legal. That's God declaring us righteous. And then the, the, the righteousness of Jesus is placed on our account. So that's why he can declare us righteous, because Jesus' works are now counted as mine. How do you get that? I'm in Clay County. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. How do I get justified? How do I become justified? Well, by faith. We, we are justified by faith. We receive, by God's gracious act, we receive that righteousness by faith in Christ alone. So the only way you can get to heaven 
from Clay, West Virginia, is through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. There's no other way to get there. There's no other way to get to heaven this morning than through Jesus Christ. Not through your good works. Not through baptism. Not through church membership. There's no other way to heaven. You must trust in Christ alone. And God will declare you righteous because you have Christ's righteousness. Your sins are paid for and you are declared righteous because you have Jesus' righteousness. That's justification. You say, well, I thought that we were talking about holiness this morning. Well, that's, that's the first thing you got to grab a hold of. Because if you don't have that, then you fall into all the other errors that come along with sanctification. Because from the very early days of Christianity, people began confounding justification and sanctification. So if you start reading way back, Augustine and, and some of those guys back in that time, you find that they began to confound justification and sanctification and making holy living the cause of our justification. So you get into the medieval period, well, they, they've, they've confounded it to where God saves you, but it's through your holiness, and you receive that holiness, it's infused into you, and it's infused into you through sacraments, through uh, the bread and wine, through baptism. But you can only be justified if you're holy, and so it's just a circle that that you're justified when you do good works, and you do good works that shows you're just, and it just goes round and round and round. But it, it all depends on what you do. Well, then later on, people said, "Well, that's not what the Bible says," and so they said the justification is one thing, and sanctification is the other. And then you get down to. Uh, uh, John Wesley and, and his uh, strain of sanctification, which is Wesleyan pietism and, and revivalism, and what, and what John Wesley was very concerned with, holy living. In fact, that's how, um, that's how John Wesley didn't want to start a church, actually. He, he was an Anglican, and he just started a Bible study, and it was about being holy about putting off sin and living a holy life, which there's nothing wrong with that, except the one problem was John Wesley wasn't converted yet um, whenever he, he started this. He was a missionary, and he was on his, he was a missionary, and he went down to Georgia, uh, southeast Georgia down here, and um, he was going his way back, or his only way to Georgia or back from Georgia, and the Lord saved him on that boat trip as a, as a missionary. But, uh, but that's beside the point. Um, his concern was holy living. Because it says that we are to, to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. That God has called a peculiar people zealous of good works. And he said it's not an infusion of justification and sanctification, but this is something we got to do. But the problem with John Wesley is he, he, is told, he didn't confound the two doctrines. He totally separated them. So you got justification over here and then a great gulf between with sanctification in which no man can cross. And then now you have to, you have to um, live holy upon your own power. So that's why you have the pietism. That's why you have 
revivalism, that second blessing, so we can be sanctified. So you're justified here, and somewhere down the road, you need to get sanctified. You need to get stirred up in the Spirit so you can start living godly. Something else has to happen in order for you to be holy. So that's, that's the groundwork. That's where, you, where, where we start. So what's the right answer? Well, we are called to be holy. So let's, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse uh, 15. Or verse 14. So we are to hope to the end for the grace that is brought to you and the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Obedient children. Not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. For it is written... Be you holy, for I am holy. If you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man to his works, you pass the time you're sojourning here in fear. So we are called, no question, to be holy people. We must be holy people. Well, I read before the service of the angels in, in heaven, around the throne, crying, holy, holy, holy. What is it to be holy then? Go be holy. Okay, well, what's that? Well, Peter's quoting Leviticus 11 and verse 43. He says, Ye shall not make yourselves abominable with any creeping thing that creepeth, neither shall you make yourselves unclean with them, that you should be defiled thereby. For I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore sanctify yourselves. And ye shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall ye defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So in this, in the context of 11, uh, Leviticus 11, if you scre- what's a creeping thing? Well, in verse 29, it says, you don't eat creep- things that creep on the earth. So it said you're not to eat weasels or mice, Tortoises, ferrets, lizards, snakes, moles. Now, I know that disappoints all of us because I'm sure everybody's going to eat ferrets and lizards for supper this evening. But, you, but if, you, if you was in Israel, you weren't allowed to, to, to eat weasels and, and mice for supper. But no, those were things that, that God said, I don't want you to eat these things. If you do, then you're going to be impure. Well... <laughs> The New Testament says it's not what goes into the body that makes you unclean, but what goes out of the body. So why did God tell the children of Israel not to eat these things? Because all things are are clean for us. Um, Paul wrote that to Timothy. You can can eat whatever you want to. There there is nothing that you can eat that is going to be sinful anymore because um, if if you ask it in prayer and thanksgiving. So why did God tell Israel... Not to, to eat ferrets and, and weasels and, and mice. Why did God tell them not to do that? Because they were separate. They were not like the people of the land. Why were they not like the people of the land? Because God had chosen them and God had redeemed them and God had made them his own 
and said, you are my people. Now I want you to go to Israel, or the promised land, in the midst of all the Canaanites, you're going to go in there, but you're not going to act like them. You're going to be different. Because, why are you going to be different? Because you're my people. And so, in, in Leviticus, the point of this, the big picture of this, is not that it's inherently evil to eat creeping things. The point was that they, were, they are different. They are set apart. They don't look like everybody else. They don't dress like everybody else. They don't eat like everybody else. Whenever you saw Israel, or, you, or if you were near them, their whole way of life was different. And you could see that. Because they were God's people. But what, what Peter does here, he's not talking about the outside. Because in Israel, they could clean the outside of the cup. And they could not eat the unclean things. And they could, be, they could not eat the creeping things. But still be wicked on the inside. So the idea of sanctification is not, here in the Old Testament, is not an inside-out work, but, but it's God setting his people apart. It is, it is consecrated for the service of God. It doesn't have anything to do in the, in the, the main idea of, of, of stop sinning because God is holy. In fact, Genesis 2-3 says, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that he had rested from all his work which God created and made. So God had set the seventh day apart as different from all the other days. So Peter's not talking about merely not eating creeping things. Israel was set apart by God because they were God's people. And their ceremonial activities illustrated a spiritual truth. So in a fallen world, being set apart and consecrated for God's service by necessity takes on an ethical significance. And so since we are no longer under, uh, no longer under this law, Peter doesn't say to be holy means not to eat gross stuff. But it is you are set apart by God. You are chosen by God. You are justified by God. You are God's people. You are, you are kingdom of priests unto God. You are set apart. You belong to him. He is holy. And because he has chosen you. And because he has consecrated you. Therefore, live according to the law of Christ. And so, we are justified, set apart by God, declared righteous, saved, secure, in Christ Jesus. And then God has called us to holiness. So it's not that our justification is relying on our sanctification, or that we're going to go to heaven if we're good enough. And it's also not that the two things are separate and our God's living has nothing to do with our, our salvation. But sanctification, as one theologian defined it, is, is the gracious and continuous operation of the Holy Spirit by which he delivers the justified sinner 
from the pollution of sin, renews his whole nature in the image of God, and enables him to perform good works. Right, so, it is the operation of the Holy Spirit where he takes the justified sinner, <coughs> renews his nature, enables us to do these good works that he has called us to. It is the work of God in us that enables us to do good works, that gives us the desire to do those things. It is a blessing that accompanies your, ju your uh, justification. It is a gift of God to the justified with the purpose to make us holy. It is with the end result to conform us to Christ. As one man said, true holiness consists not in the external works of piety and charity. Because that's what the, that's what the Old Testament saints thought, that they could clean the outside of the cup. Well, I'm holy because I eat the right things and I wear the right clothes and I trim my beard the right way and I don't talk to the wrong people and I don't sit next to the wrong people and I do everything that God says, therefore I'm holy. Well, Jesus said that they were like whitewashed tombs. They painted nice and everything on the outside, but inside they're full of dead man's bones. True holiness consists in doing the right thing, but it also consists in holy thoughts, imaginations, affections of the soul, and loves. From the heart where all good works must flow, or else they're not acceptable to God. So it's not only refraining from doing bad things, but it's also longing to do right things. It's obedience to God without repining and murmuring and fretting as if it was a grievous yoke and a burden to obey God. That's what holiness is. That's what this is what we have been called to do. So what is revivalism and the pietism? What does that want you to do? Well, it, 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 it sets up a set of rules and it gives you this set of rules to do in order that you might progress in, in holiness. But the problem with that, now practically it might be a good idea. Practically, you can say, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with setting these things up in order to help me obey God? Well, the problem is, without the grace of God, we, we don't have the power to do that. We don't have the abilities to, to do these things. And so we begin to fret and, and to worry and to doubt. <coughs> true holiness, true sanctification, true keeping of the law comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in us. God, well, why, why should we? Why should we desire to be holy? And, you know, people who believe in the sovereignty of God and the doctrines of grace are often accused of saying, well, if I believe like you do, I just sin all day long. I've had people tell me that many times in my life. Well, if I believe like you did, I just sin all I wanted to. 
And like the man says, well, I sin all I want to anyway. I sin more than I want to, actually. And you probably feel that way, too. Because in this guy's mind, he was, his holiness and his godliness was what made, was making him acceptable unto God. And even that question, well, if I believe like you do, I'd sin all I wanted to. What does that tell you about his, his, thought, his thoughts? It means the only reason he wasn't sinning was because he was trying to get something out from God. He said, because if I could do what I wanted to, I'd sin all day long if I knew I could get away with it. That's just cleaning the outside of the cup, isn't it? That's saying, I really desire sin in my heart, but the only reason I don't want to is because I'm trying to get something out of God. Now, we are tempted from within with lust, right? And there are things that we want to do that we, we don't because we know we're not supposed to. But what I'm saying is that, that mode of thinking separates the, the reason why we should desire to be holy. So not only should it grieve us that, that we have those, or that we do bad things, it, it should grieve us that we desire to do it. Why should we be holy? Well, God has called us to it. God has called us to holiness. Horatio Bonar said, quoting scriptures, rather, it is to holiness that we are called, that we should have our fruit unto holiness, that our heart should be established in unblameable holiness, that we should abound in holy conversation and godliness. We should be called a holy priesthood, live in a whole manner of holy conversation, called with a holy calling, holy and without blemish before him in love, presenting not only our souls, but our bodies as a holy sacrifice unto God, remembering that these bodies are not only a sacrifice, but a temple of the Holy Ghost. Our calling is to holiness. So now we're in a situation. So now, now we're, we're on the road, but now we're thinking, how are we going to do this? I know that what God wants me to do, but I also know myself, and I want to do what God wants me to do, but I also know that I don't do that. I also know that sometimes I want to do the, bad, the wrong thing, and I do it, and then I feel bad because I did it. I'm not doing what God called me to do, even though I want to do that, even though I know it's required of me to live in holiness. What am I going to do? And so this is where these two doctrines are vital. Because we have to remember, first of all, that we are saved and we are justified. But also, secondly, that this, this calling of the, the justified is the one to live a holy life. But we must remember that sanctification is this work of God, that, that we can have success. We can have success in, in, in godliness because it is a work of God. So it's looking at this thing from the biblical way that we can pursue godliness today. Because we have the hope of success. And that's a big difference than saying, I must pursue godliness or I'm going to go to hell. Than saying, I can pursue godliness because I have a hope of success. 
If we are justified, which is the scriptures say that we are, we're justified by faith, not by the works of the law, then we are secure. That we have Christ's righteousness and that we have union with Christ and we are not going to be cast aside. We're not going to be forsaken. Does that mean we live however we want to? God forbid. What it does mean, though, is since it is a work of God in us, we can pursue it from the frame of mind that we can and will be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, The very peace of God sanctify you wholly. Not the peace of God sanctify you partially. Not the peace of God sanctify you um, a little bit and then you sanctify the rest. But the very peace of God sanctify you wholly. And I pray your whole spirit and body and soul be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Does that mean that I'm perfect right now? Not in the least bit. Does that mean that I, will, I don't sin? No. But remember, it is the gracious, continuous operation of the Holy Spirit by which he delivers the justified sinner from the pollution of sin, renews the whole nature in the image of God, and enables him to perform good works. This is, it is God's work in sanctification. It is God's continuous blessing. It is the operation of the Holy Spirit, which he delivers us, little by little, renewing our whole nature in the image of God and enables us to perform good works. We fall on our face, but we're falling forward. We're, we're, we're by God's grace, pursuing godliness. And that's why it always feels like that we're not making any progress. And that's why it feels like that we're just as wicked now as, as maybe when the Lord saved us because he's continually sanctifying us. He's shining the light on, on different sins in our, in our minds, in our hearts, in our actions. And, and sometimes it's the same thing over and over again, but, but it is that operation of the Holy Spirit. This is, why, this is one reason why you can never be perfect, because... Or one evidence, rather, that you'll never be perfect because the, the Father sanct- or, or chastens us. He's, he's continually sanctifying us. It's a fruit of our union with Jesus Christ. It's not the root of it. Sanctification and godliness is the fruit of, 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 of grace. So repentance is the fruit of God's grace. Initially and, 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 and on through the Christian life. Because that would put our something that we do ahead of what God does in us. That, that we are born again. Repentance is a gift. Faith is a gift. It is the fruit. So your putting off sin is not what makes you acceptable unto God. It is the fruit of your union with Christ. That would be like a vine becoming a blackberry vine, and then once you've got blackberries on it, you unite it 
to the rest of the, the plant. No, the vine produces blackberries because it's part of the, the or the branch produces blackberries because it's part of the vine. Because there's life there, because there's union there, then there's fruit. And if God has called you to be in Christ, then he will give you the life and the ability to, to obey him. It's a work that is wrought in man. So it, it can't be a work that starts with man and comes from man. It's a work that God does in us. God does this work in us. So um, Ephesians 3.16 That he, that God would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you be rooted and grounded in love. So it is that work of God's grace in the inner man that causes us to will and to do according to God's grace. According to God's word, rather. All the the virtues and all the, the holy things that we are called to do are the result of the work of the Spirit. What are, what do you call those things? Peace and love and joy and long suffering. What do we call those things? Meekness and gentleness and faith, temperance. We call those the fruit of the Spirit, don't we? Not the fruit of sanctification, not the fruit of your hard work, not the fruit of revivals, not the fruit of piety. But, but those things are, are the fruit of the Spirit. So, like the, the revival that was going on down there in Kentucky. People were going there because they said, if we go there, we'll catch something and then we'll have a desire to, to love and to have peace. And then churches said, hey, let's do that. Let's have a, a service and not stop and just keep going 24-7. And maybe we can replicate that. Because they're wanting the fruit of, quote-unquote, revival. I want to be holy. Those people are singing songs 24-7. So let's do that. And therefore, if I do that or if I go there, then I'm going to be holy and, and long-suffering and good and full of joy and full of all these affections. Well, that would make our sanctification and holiness the fruit of revivalism. And then you can only have that if you have a revival. And you can only have a revival if you do these certain things. And if you don't do these certain things, you won't have a revival. And if you don't have a revival, then you won't have that second blessing. If you don't have that second blessing, you're not going to be full of joy and peace, and love, and so forth. But the, the scriptures say that these things are a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And that we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And that God has called us unto holiness. That God works in the inner man by his spirit. That, that this fruit is something that works out as we live in the spirit and are united to Christ. See, we are complete in Christ. We are, that's what it says in uh, Colossians 
210. It says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of God head bodily, and ye are complete in him. You are complete in Christ. All the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ. You are complete in the Lord Jesus. You're not lacking something. You're not lacking a good revival to be holy. You're not lacking a good set of books to be holy. You're not lacking these things because you are complete in Christ. You are indwelled by His Spirit. And it is Christ Himself who does the sanctifying. In Hebrews 10, uh, 14, it says, For by one offering He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So that either means that Christ only dies for people who do good things, or it means by that one offering, he's perfected forever his elect who are set apart, who are called to godliness and holiness. And it is the work and the operation of God that that sanctifies us. So, this is why we should desire it. Because we can have the hope of success. Burkauer said, to strike out on the way of perfection on our own power and to cut the cords with which we are tied to Christ is to make impossible that which we should be preserved entire and blameless to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfectionism is a premature seizing of the glory that will be leads and it leads to a nomism or a, a, a legalism. And that second blessing is the link. So if we cut the cords of Christ, then what, what we want is impossible to reach. Unless there's a second blessing. So let, let's think about that for a second. We are justified. We are saved by Christ. And, and, and all Christians will agree with that. Well, over here is a call to holiness. Well, I, well the Bible teaches that we, we are sanctified through the work and the operation of the Holy Spirit within us. But if you say that sanctification is all by yourself, apart from the work of God, then how are you going to get from justification to godliness. Where's the bridge? Well, what people do is they say, okay, this second blessing is the bridge. And so you get from justification to the second blessing, and the second blessing will take you to there. Well, how do you get the second blessing? Well, it depends on who you ask. But then what that says is there's a group of Christians who are saved but live and might not even know they're saved. That, they, that they're saved and, and they don't even act like they're saved because they don't know that they're saved because they haven't had that second blessing yet that enables them to, to holiness. There has to be something that connects the two. Because it's, we, the scriptures declare that they're not confounded. It's not the same thing. So it's either the work of man or it's the work of God. Well, how can we attain it? The same grace that saves us is also the grace that transforms us. 
I'm called to be holy, but also I'm assured that it's going to happen by God's grace. So back in Leviticus 11, 45, it says, I am the Lord that bringeth you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall be holy, for I am holy. That's how God prefaces it even in the Old Testament. I am your God. I am your Savior. I am going to deliver you. I brought you out of Egypt. I put you in the promised land. I am going to be your God. Therefore, be holy. Because you are my people. Don't eat that stuff because you are separate, but because you are my people. Not, don't eat that stuff and then you will be, but because you are, because of what I've done for you, this is how you are to live. Now, there's other stuff of the, the Old Covenant we won't get into, but, but even in the Old Testament, that separation of those things is a picture of the spiritual reality. The morality with which God approves is conformity to all of our thoughts and actions. So we don't live for our, ourselves, but we live for him who died for us. So we grow in obedience, not through our own strength, not through our own power, not through a great revival, not through some outward forms. Now, well, let me just continue on here. Not through outward forms and so forth, but by the power of Christ, by the Spirit within us. We don't grow by our own strength, but it is the work of God. Holiness is not a means to end. You're saved in order to do good works that God has ordained and prepared you to do. It's not the first step in the road to salvation. We grow in godliness by remembering our, that we are justified. Remembering what God has done for us. Remembering that Christ died for us. Remembering that Christ purged us and cleansed us from all sin. Remember that the sins that we commit are sins that our almighty, holy God, um, the Lord Jesus Christ, paid for on the cross. That he suffered for. He died to deliver you from those sins. That he has promised that he, you will be conformed to his image. He has given you everlasting life. That you are safe and secure in him. And out of a heart of gratitude, we do what he says. See, there's a danger when the victory of Christ, when we lose sight of him, that the warfare, the spiritual warfare, comes into a self-reliant um, activism, as Burkhauer said. The true war can only be waged from the incentives of humility and gratitude. Because you can get fired up and you say, I'm not going to sin, I'm going to live a holy life, and it'll last a little while, and you're eventually going to fail because you're not strong enough to do it by yourself. But when we remember, justification is God's gracious act in which our sins are pardoned. That we are counted righteous in God's sight, according to Christ's perfect work, that we have been given his righteousness and we have everlasting life, we have pardon, received by faith in Christ alone. And remembering that sanctification is that continuous blessing that accompanies justification. It's a gift to the justified to make us holy. That it's the Spirit working in us. And the fact that we desire to live godly lives is a fact that the Spirit is working in us. And he delivers us 
little by little, from the pollution of sin. And he renews us in the whole nature of our being to perform good works. And how does he do that? Well, through means of the scripture. That the scripture is read over us and it washes over us. The means of gathering together with, with the saints and seeing one another living in godliness and encouraging us. That the means of the church is one way the Holy Spirit uh, in his operation delivers us from the pollution of sin. The means of his word, from hearing the preaching, uh, from uh, remembering what Christ has done for us when we take the Lord's Supper. That, that these continual means is, are ways in which the Holy Spirit delivers us from the pollution of sin. Does that mean that, that we don't strive after godliness? No, of course not. We strive after godliness. We, we strive to be holy. We desire it. We get tore up when we don't. But we go back knowing that we're secure in Christ, knowing that he has promised it, knowing that we have the hope of success, knowing that we attain it by grace, knowing that it's the power of Christ working in us, knowing that it's the fruit of the Spirit coming from our union with Christ, and we can rest. We can take a deep breath and say, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for sanctifying me. Help me. Help me. Give me strength. Guide me. Renew my mind. And what that does is that gets you excited for godliness. It gets you excited for holiness. Being thankful to Christ for what he's done for us. Not out of drudgery, not out of some expectation to pay God back, but, oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me. I don't want to do these bad things anymore. I don't want to sin against you anymore. Give me the power to live for your glory. So that's, that's what it is. And that's why, uh, why B.H. Carroll said, if you get this down, you'll be a theologian, because there's so many different things that they're playing in so many different ways that you're being pulled apart. The flesh wants to, to have a list and, and wants to, to have it quick, right? We want sanctification quick. We want it to happen right now. We want to have somebody come in and, and, and preach a meeting, and bam, we're sanctified, and it's all over, and, and we don't have to worry about it anymore because we've got the second blessing, and it's all downhill from here. Well, talk to anybody that's been saved for any number of years, and they'll tell you it's not a downhill from anywhere. It's a, it's a daily struggle. Why? Because it's a daily grace of the Holy Spirit conforming us to the image of Christ. And one day you'll be complete. That's the promise. That's the hope. One day you'll be complete.